Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Can you say overcome? So so excited to start a brand new series today out of uh, the text, out of the book of Joshua. I want to read one text from there, but also Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible, why don't you invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 4. And as always, uh, the sermon card is available for you uh, on our social media platform. But if it makes it easier, uh, if you go to dwellingplacemovement.org, you'll see a media tab. The first tab under media is sermons. And you can access every sermon card from the past year. You can access all the sermons there, the actual podcast. And so it's just an easy way to do. We're, over the next few weeks, going to create a little QR code. It'll be on a deal out here. When you come in, you can QR code. It'll go straight to the sermon card on your phone or your device. But uh, it's just a way you want this card because the hopes is that you can refer back to this uh, in your devotional times here in 2022. The text for today, again, is Matthew chapter 4. I want to welcome those that are streaming live. Thank you again for being with us this morning. What a powerful, wonderful 2021, right? It's a powerful year Uh, in so many ways. It was a grieving year, a lamenting year for so many of us. And I don't want to be arrogant enough to say, hey, we made it to 2022 because there were many of us that didn't make it, meaning my father-in-law didn't make it. And so I don't want to make statements like that. But yet I have deep-seated expectation and anticipation that 2022 will be a year where we see major growth, where we see major advancement. I've been praying, whether you want to pray or not, that we would see the last inklings of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2022, that it would move to an endemic disease rather than being something that's pandemic and and people can do with it and move forward from this point. Is that a worthy kind of prayer? And that we would see direction and we would see guidance and the Lord's favor upon us and and continue to enable us as a human race. I'm not just talking about the church to move forward in Jesus' name. I think that's a worthy prayer. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to begin reading. I'd like to invite you, if I could, to stand for the reading of God's Word today. We're going to read two passages in our hearing. Matthew chapter 4, and then also Joshua chapter 1. Matthew chapter 4, this is the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, as you and I would be. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice that the enemy always begins that if language. He does the same in the book of Genesis, right? And Jesus answered, It is written, response of the word of God, Man shall not live by bread or on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's where men live. Men find their substance on the words out of God's mouth. That's where we find our strength. Joshua chapter 1, as you know, we're starting this series called Overcome. And Joshua now receives from the Lord an admonition. What's so powerful about this passage in Joshua 1 is that Moses had been buried by him by God himself on Mount Nebo. He was unable to enter the promised land due to his fits of rage or anger at slashing or beating the rock in the wilderness. And God said that you would not enter the promised land. And so Joshua, who is a son of Nun, N-U-N, just literally means a pagan family, was now to take the reins of the children of Israel. And he was to lead two million Israelites across the Jordan River into Canaan. 
And the first battle in Canaan is the world's longest, oldest city in civilization. It still is to this day. It's Jericho. It's just a couple hundred yards. You can see it from the place that Jesus was baptized by John. And in this kind of statement, God gives an admonition to Joshua of what to do, how to lead forward. He tells Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. And in doing so, you would be successful wherever you go. Which the admonition to Josh is to keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you, this is causal. We call this a causal text. Something has to happen for this to happen. What is it? We meditate on the law and keep it on our lips. You may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, and only then, will you be prosperous and you be successful as God frames it, as God defines it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Amen. Short prayer today. You may be seated. One of the things that happens in seminary or Bible college or any formal theological training school is that your relationship with God becomes very academic. People go into theological training because they love God and they want to grow more in their relationship with God. But it's actually remarkable of how many folks would describe their formal theological training as the spiritually driest time in their entire life. Everyone warned me about this, and not only my undergrad, I did a Bachelor of Arts in in Pastoral Ministry, and then I did a Master's of Divinity at seminary. I did not finish the the MDiv, but they warned me in both uh, both contexts, both seminary and undergrad, yet it started to get to me too at certain points. It's just this environment where you are analyzing everything. It's this environment where you have been taught to be critical with the text and critical of everything you're reading. But then I had two different professors, one of them in the undergrad and one of them in the seminary, who quite honestly, they changed my life. You say, Craig, how did they change your life? They were powerful men of God with such I don't know, just powerful prophetic voices and a close, intimate relationship or walk with God. I remember meeting the first one, and I said specifically to him, I want this guy's walk with God. Have you ever met in those kind of people, right? There are many people who know a lot about the Bible, but then there are people who know God, and there's two different realities. And you're like, what is happening in your private devotional life that is producing this kind of public fruit? You get inquisitive. You ask questions. What is it about your life that produces this kind of fruit? By the way, I did a little scriptural scavenger hunt last night. The word fruitful appears 66 times in the New Testament and not one time does it mention a number. Fruitfulness is not just about numbers. Fruitfulness is about proving to be your disciple, proving to be the disciple of the Lord, fruitful in your relationships, fruitful in your understanding of God, fruitful in your knowledge, right? And so I remember asking this guy, what is it about your relationship? This is one of those guys. For me, if you remember the movie Dead Poets Society, anybody remember this movie? In the movie Dead Poets Society, there's this scene, I think you call the scene the the ripping of Mr. Pritchard, where these students are in school and they're going to study poetry. And so while they're in class, they create a Y and an X axis, an X, Y axis to determine how powerful a poem is. And so they're judging the poem based on that axis. And if you remember Robin Williams, who was a fabulous, fabulous author, right? Robin Williams comes in and he says, rip it out to the class. You remember this scene? And they start ripping it. It's not loud enough. He says, I want to hear more ripping. 
And they're ripping out this axis and this page in this book because he wants to reignite in them a true passion for poetry. Well, this professor in seminary brought God's word back to life for me. I mean, I was sitting like every week with a Jedi asking, what do you do behind closed doors to get this kind of walk with God? And so what he did with us, it was only about 10 students in the class, is he spent a semester with us unpacking some of these things that I want to share with you today. And I want to tell you, they were very, very impactful for me. I would say one of the number one questions I get from people in our church is this. Pastor Craig, I'd love to sit down with you. I'd love to have a moment. I'd love to have coffee. I'd love to have a meal. My heart, here's normally their words, my heart's being stirred by Dwelling Place Church. God is doing something in my life at this church and then they'll say, when I get into my time with God, I, I, I honestly, I just don't know what to do. I, I'm four minutes in, and I've prayed for the whole world, including the United Nations, and I'm out of request, okay? Like, I've hit everything I know to pray about, or they'll say, hey, I'm reading the Bible, and uh, I'm reading the Bible, and then I read the one only, the only online commentary on the World Wide Web, because there's only one, right? You have to actually buy the book. Um, I'll give you a couple resources if you want some resources, but... But most of the time, it's that one online commentary, and they read it, and they think, you know what? Like, I'm more confused at the end than I was at the beginning. And so people ask, what do you do in your time with God? Well, let me tell you, my time with God is basically what I receive from mentors in my life. And that's what I want to talk about today in our discipleship. How, here it is, do we meet with God in a life-changing way that changes us forever? In fact, I've titled this message today in our series, Overcome, How to Meet with God. How do I meet with God? It's very, very simple. I've given this talk, or a talk similar to this, a message similar to this, each year in January. And sadly, I, as your pastor, have not seen enough fruit from those times, so here we go again. So we're going for application this time, all right? To apply what we hear. I want to talk about how we spend time with God. And it's based on four simple movements. But these simple movements, I believe, are quite profound. How do you spend time with God? Time is an acronym. You ready? Time, truth, insights, I, mission, M, encounter, E. How do I spend time with God? How do I read God's word in such a way to receive truth from it? How do I then take the truth that I've received and ask God, why are you revealing this to me? Insights. How do I then get a sense of mission or calling from that time with God in order to do something? Mission. And then how do I take that mission into some kind of prayer and worship and prophetic intercessory time with God that ultimately leads to tremendous life for me? So let's do this today. Let's jump through these four movements of spending time with God. The first one is around this idea of truth. Everybody say truth. Listen, Christians are people of truth. We are people of the scripture. We are shaped by the Bible. Let me say something, church. You cannot have a rich relationship with God without spending time in his word. Impossible. According to Jesus, you can't have a rich relationship with God apart from spending time in the Word of God. Jesus loved the Word of God. He quoted it in the passage we just read in Matthew 4. He quoted it to the enemy three times when he was tempted. He uses it in spiritual warfare when he's tired. Jesus was immersed 
and stressed at times, and he used the word of God. Go read how many times Jesus quotes the Psalms. He uses the Psalms like a spiritual conversation with his father. He was immersed, he was apart, and he was oriented around the word of God. Now, for us in the 21st century, we have to do that as well. But here is the thing, church, are you ready? You can do whatever Bible reading plan you want. Now, this year, I proposed to you a Bible reading plan that we have printed for you. You'll find it out at the Next Steps table. This is a Bible reading plan that I mentioned to you last week. You've probably seen it all over uh, our social this week. It's also on our website. If you click Grow 2022, you will see there are four steps. One of them is a reflection exercise you can do. Some of you, if you want reflection of your generosity and your tithe and giving, we've placed that on the website under Grow 2022. And then there's a Bible reading plan. And you can access that Bible reading plan. And in this plan, there's four different passages. So you have an Old Testament reading that every day is a wisdom lit. So it's the Psalms or the Proverbs, the Song of Song, Ecclesiastes. And then there's a, a historical book or a prophetic book. And then in the New Testament, you get a gospel every day and you get an epistle every day. And you can read through the word of God. But hear, hear me. The plan is not the point. The heart behind approaching the scriptures is the point. Have you ever bumped into someone out and about in a store in Woodstock and it's like a little surprise pop-in? The longer I live in Woodstock, the longer I live in Cherokee County, the less places I go where I don't know somebody. I love that feeling. That was a hard feeling when we first moved here as a church planner because I'm a pastor by heart. So to go into a restaurant over and over and over again and not know anybody is like a dagger to the soul. But there's very few places I go now where I don't recognize people. I see people, I understand them, I know, right? You ever had those just quick pop-ins? right? Oh, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Well, it's 2022, yeah. Man, you walk away from, man, I, I love that. Man, isn't she great? Isn't she awesome? Just, just a quick, okay, gonna go get back to my life now. Little pop in, all right, back to my agenda. For a lot of people, that is their relationship with God. Oh, I got a little verse from God today. A little encouragement from my inner man. A little encouragement from my inner woman, right? Even version sends out the verse of the day, right? We read it, comes on our text, Comes up on our Version Bible app. Oh, God is great, isn't he? Praise God. Okay, all right. I'm going to get back to my life now. I'm going to get back to my agenda now. This is, listen to me, church, your classic 15 minutes with God in the morning. And I want to say to you, it is almost impossible for that time to yield any more than that because it's designed around that. That is not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about in meeting with God is not your 15-minute thingy. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a pop-in for an encouragement, a pop-in for a verse. We're talking about meeting with God. If you have those friends that are like, hey, dude, man, we're going to do like a three-course meal with like desserts in a different location. In our neighborhood, they sent us, my wife and I, uh, an invitation this year to go to three different houses, three different courses. And each time you left that house and went to the next house. And then you had to go to get dirt, dessert somewhere else. If you have those friends that do that, you're like, praise God, I like to eat. You know, like this is exciting, right? Listen, that's a different kind of meal. That's a different kind of experience. And that requires a different kind of mentality. One is a pop-in. The other is a deep enjoyment. I want to say the approach you should go to the Bible with to spend time with God is that unhurried, slow, hungry spirit and pace. I've said it before, but let me say it again. Most of us are not too sinful for God to use, but we are too busy. We're too busy. We're too disordered. 
Well, I don't have time for it. Well, yes, you do. You have time for whatever you love. What? Whatever I desire, I have time for. Today, what I want to do is remind us of why that time with God is so important, why it's so necessary. Now, part of the problem with being a Christian for a while, the longer you're a Christian, is you can sometimes adopt this attitude, oh yeah, I'm good, I I read that. Like, I read Ephesians already, last year. Like, I did a Beth Moore Bible study on Ephesians. Like, I am a black belt in the book of Ephesians. And I'm always like, I wish you would tell your life that. You know, like, I wish your brain would tell your life you're a black belt in Ephesians, right? You're living out Ephesians. Listen to me, listen to me. There is a huge difference between thinking we know the Scriptures and having a fresh encounter with the Scriptures. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Furious Love of God, and this is what Brennan says. He says, because we approach the gospel, watch this, with preconceived notions of what it should say rather than what it does say, the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. The word no longer sweeps like a wild storm into the corners of our comfortable piety. The word no longer vibrates like sharp lightning in the dark recesses of our non-historic orthodoxy. The gospel becomes, in the words of Gertrude Stein, a pattering of pious platitudes spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. That attitude just begins to seep into our hearts and our spirits. I've read that before. People are like, yeah, I've read the Sermon on the Mount before. You're like, no! It's like the Sermon on the Mount! This is like Jesus' clearest teaching, and it is a revolution. I want to tell people, wake up. Do you know what happens when people encounter the Sermon on the Mount? They sell their homes. They move to other countries. They go live for other unreached people groups. They disassemble the American dream Lego by Lego because they read the Sermon on the Mount one time. Oh, I've read the Sermon on the Mount. We have to go to it with an attitude of hunger where you say, speak to me, Lord. Encounter me with in this text. Look what Psalm 19 says, verse 7. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Look what, law, look what your Bible reading plan, time and Bible does. It refreshes the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. What do they do? They make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. What do they do? They give joy to your heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. What do they do? They give light to your eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than even much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb, which is the sweetest part of the honey. By them your servant is warned, and keeping with them there's great reward. Watch this. But who can discern their own errors? Who can discern their own errors? This is what's so interesting about this passage. All of us, church, know that in a preference-driven Christianity, when I choose what I love all the time, I'm choosing to have unformed parts of my life. Hear me. Much of what we don't like is the very things we need and are good for us. So anyone on the planet who understands spiritual maturity understands this. The worst thing you can do in 2022 is to build your life around your spiritual preferences. Read only the books you want to read, from only the authors you want to read, to listen to the only the music you want to listen, from only the artists you want to listen. That malforms you. We need the balance. We need opposite ends. 
So what happens is we get blind spots. And what does the psalmist say? Who can discern their own errors? And because our culture is so defensive, does anybody agree that our culture might be a little defensive? Okay. So our culture is so defensive that we always frame our stories in a way that we are right and we have the advantage over others. So what happens is you do that for a year or two and you have incredible blind spots. You only see what you can see. Who can discern their own errors, the psalmist said. No one can. But if we let the Spirit of God through our time in the Word of God, it will help us discern our errors. That's why the Scripture says the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Watch this. It divides between soul and spirit. It divides between joint and marrow. Ready? It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is the discerner of what's going on in your spirit. And a lot of the times, look at me, church, we go to the Bible and we stand over it and we demand something from it rather than coming in humility and hunger underneath it and letting it speak to us. When you come under the authority of God's word and instead of you interrogating it and it begins to interrogate you, you will see the transformation in the deep recesses of your own heart. We are not called to come to God and interrogate the scripture. We're called to come to the scripture and let it interrogate us. We are called to approach it in humility and in the authority of its word to allow it to speak to us. Now listen, church, this is the difference between the Logos word versus the Rhema. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because my Pentecostal charismatic counterparts push this maybe too far. Some people push this too far. But there is something to it. And hear me. The rhema is the living word of God. You ever had that experience where you read a passage and it just jumps off the page at you? A phrase just jumps off the page at you? A statement comes off the page? Now, depending on your personality type, you mediate the intensity of that language, don't you? Some people are like, Pastor Craig... That verse stood out to me. I've never seen it before. And others are like, oh my God, my devotions were fire this morning. You know what I'm saying? Like a Baptist is like, hey, that verse stood out to me. The Presbyterian's like, I had illumination into God's word in my time in the secret place this morning. Well, we are actually describing the same thing. And that's when it goes from, watch, general scripture to specific truth. The first T of time is truth. When something becomes revelatory to me. Look what Romans 10 and 17 says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of Christ. The word of Christ. There is a living word that wants to meet you in 2022. There's a living word that wants to be applied to an application through the Holy Spirit and a quickening in your spirit. Look what Rob Reimer says. He says, when the Spirit breathes on a word in Scripture, it stirs within you. Watch this. It leaps off the page at you, and this is the moment when God is coming near to you. This is the moment of divine breakthrough. This is the moment, if you'll let it, when the piercing of the heart can take place and the deep work of transformation can begin. Watch this statement. Every time you pick up the Bible, we are only one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter. With the living God. Church, the clearest example I can give to you of this is something called the stereogram. Or as we called it in Chattanooga, Tennessee, magic eye. Anybody familiar with magic eye or the stereograms? I remember when the stereograms came out in 1995. 
I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, going to a school called McConnell Elementary School in fourth grade Mrs. Burns class. I never forget going to school one day and the students in my class and peers had this book up against their nose and they would pull their face away from the page and they were all arguing. I'm looking over in the corner at the reading corner, you know, and they're like all like, and, and, and they're arguing like, no, you got to cross your eyes. No, you don't got to cross your eyes. No, don't cross your eyes. And, and what is the stereogram? It is a 3D image that your rods and cones in your eyes pick up on and it comes off of the 2D environment, right? And I never forget getting that magic eye and doing it myself. And I'm like, is there a camera on me? Is this a prank? I didn't see it. I mean, I did not see that image. I'm like looking at it. And I'm like, you know, crossing my eyes, pulling it out slow, doing everything I can to see it. I'm like, Ashton Kutcher has a camera on me right now. I'm getting punked right here in my fourth grade class, right? And then one day, one day I look at the, the, the stereogram and I pull my nose back slowly and there is a dolphin, next slide, emerging from the pattern. And if you were able to get up next to this, you would see that there's two dolphins. One is actually jumping through the hoop. That's what you actually see. And it's a way, watch this, of having a 3D item in a 2D environment. But you have to pay attention. Y'all, that is the best articulation of what I'm talking about. You're reading the Bible one day and the Holy Spirit lifts it off the page. And you get so excited and you can't understand why everybody else is get excited because they can't see it. It's when I get into an unhurried moment in God's word, then the revelation or the truth, that's the T, comes off of the page. And you will have to have the rods and the cones to see it. You might have to get your nose a little bit down lower, and you might have to slowly back your visage or your perception, but you will see a revelation come off the page. Now listen, when you get that thing, that is the beginning of your time with God. A lot of times we say that's the end of our catch up with Jesus. Hear me, hear me. When you get a revelation, you don't end it and say, oh, I saw it, put it on Instagram, put it on Twitter, write it in your margin and move on. Listen, this is the start. Now watch, God has highlighted something for me from his word. There is specific truth for me today. Look, church, most people end at the point we should begin. You've just now started. Now you're ready to go. Hear me. Look at me. We do not break bad habits. We replace them. You do not go into 2022 with the willpower to break a bad habit. You replace the bad habit with the habit that forms the person you want to be. So when I go into a new year with this renewed expectation, I have to replace Whatever bad habits I had. Which leads me to the second thing. So we have time, truth. So this revelation comes off the page and then it leads me to insights. Now insights is this. You have to ask God. God, would you give me insight to why you revealed this truth to me? What's happening in this passage that I need to understand? I want to give you another quote from Brennan. Brennan Manning says, When preached purely, God's word exalts, frightens, shocks, and forces us to reassess our whole life. The gospel breaks our train of thought, shatters our comfortable piety, and cracks open our capsule truths. The flashing spirit of Jesus Christ breaks new paths everywhere. His sentences stand like quivering swords of flame because Jesus did not come to bring peace, but a revolution. The gospel is not a children's fairy tale. The gospel is a cutting-edge, rolling thunder, convulsive earthquake in the world of the human spirit. 
So you want to get that into your inner being. For me, folks, this is what it means to look for insight. So here's what you do. Unhurried, time with God, come to the passage, read it. You don't start until something pops. When it pops, you've started. Once it pops, you move to insight and you start asking, God, why are you showing me this? And you got to let it settle into your spirit. It's kind of like a no chewing allowed. You just let the truffle, you let the, the mint just kind of dissolve. You don't chew it, you just, you just let it set in your spirit. And you want to let, watch this, this living word of God to change things. Next slide. If I could show you what insight looks like, this would be my, my image. It's like immersing yourself in this passage where you're not skimming across the top. Oh, wow, man, that was a great verse. Praise God. No, no, you're in it. You're underneath. And then you start asking, well, what's underneath this revelation that I've missed before? Let me ask you a question. When you see this guy drop into the ocean, do you really think that you've mastered God's word and gotten out of Ephesians all that God wants you to get out of Ephesians? Do you think you've gotten all out of Genesis 1, all that there is to get out of Genesis 1? When this man falls into the ocean, he's entering into an ocean where 99.99% of that ocean is fully undiscovered to him. So you have to mine it because in the word of God are truths, are insights. So you have to start asking questions like this. Let me give you some practical things. God, why are you showing this to me? And then what happens is little things will begin to stand out. You'll read things like John. Oh, that, oh, Jesus performed the first miracle at Cana in Galilee, but then he performs the last miracle at Cana in Galilee. You, you, little things like this will start standing out. I never noticed that those people were in the passage. I knew that Jesus... I, 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 and we need this. Why do we need the insight? Because there's two things that are trying to settle into us. Can I tell you about those two things real quick? The insight part of time is addressing two things. Here's the first thing it addresses. The slow formation that secularism is doing in our hearts and minds. That's what insight addresses. The slow formation of secularism. None of you will wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm thinking about building a non-Christian worldview. I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm thinking about deconstructing my entire faith. You want to start Thursday at 11. All right, let's meet at Copper Corn. We'll start the deconstruction. No. It doesn't work that way at all. You know how deconstruction starts? Do you know how this whole idea begins? It's just the little things on TikTok. Five seconds become little memes in your head. The people you follow on Instagram become little memes in your head. They become worms in your ears. Listen, and then you find yourself, you can't dispose of them anymore. Listen to me. People who shipwreck the faith, listen, people who move to secularism from a biblical worldview are not there because of big events. They're thousands of little micro formations that come through their cell phone and the media around them every day that lure them away from thinking biblical thoughts and having a biblical worldview. So insights, T-I, the insights part of time, it wars against the formation that secularism is trying to war on your heart and mind. Here's the second thing that the insights wars against. We start thinking, you know what, I've been in church before, or I've known God, or I've read this passage before, so here's what happened. We start thinking, and we get so settled in our opinions that we think our understanding of the text is the same thing as encountering God through the text. Understanding the text is not encountering God in the text. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, The 
All scripture is theonoustos. It's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Watch this, prepared for every good work. What do you mean, Craig? You have to ask in the insight, how am I finding Jesus in this passage? Listen, Paul tells the Romans who were being formed profoundly by Rome and not the church. You need to be reformed. And the primary way of your reformation will be through the renewing of your mind. Where you move through scripture at a slow pace. I'll give you an example. Just in the month of November, I started reading back through Mark. And you know the thing and insight that kept popping off the page for me? Was the text, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And I would read it again. Jesus often withdrew. And you know what? I didn't really like it. Because I'm like, this is Jesus who would not be as available as I would want him to be if he was on the earth. Like, where's Jesus again? Oh, he's off by himself. So what happens is, look, you get a first course of the meal, which is Revelation. So I'm reading the text. Revelation comes off. The second course is the insights, meaning, God, why are you showing me this? Then what will happen is what will begin to emerge is we have a dawning revelation. You ready, church? God has shown me this because he has something for me to do. That leads me into mission, truth, insight, mission. Now listen to me. There is no substitute for submission to Scripture. I want to say it and say it clearly. Your spiritual health in 2022 depends on you up placing the utmost value on God's Word and then obeying it with an eager heart. Why? Because revelation is rarely for you just to enjoy. Insight is for you to obey. A step of obedience, that's mission. Sometimes people give me compliments, and, and I enjoy, I mean, we all do, right, as, as people. They'll say something to me like this, Pastor Craig, and please hear me, no condemnation here, but I'm just giving you an example. Oh, Pastor Craig, man, I really enjoyed that message. And they say, I listened to that when I was working out on Tuesday. I listened to it again. And what I want to say to them is, you know what? I am so honored to be the background noise of your physical exercise. But what I'm really thinking is, what in the world have we done with the teaching of God's word? Why are we so informed in America? Because we think that by resonating with or appreciating content is the same as obeying Jesus, and it is a lie. So we do something else and just create the teaching as background noise. That's how we approach the word of God. We approach the teaching of God's word as if it's background noise. Why? Because if we like it, we think we've obeyed it. Just because you agree with something doesn't mean it's changed you. Agreeing with content does not change you. Obedience to content changes you. So when I get truth or a revelation, and then I get insight, God, why are you showing me this? I have to get a mission. God, what do you want me to do with this? Just because you like it does not mean that you know Jesus and are becoming like Jesus. It's in the application you're changed. You remember when Jesus goes and washes the disciples' feet on the Last Supper, John 13? You know what he does? After he washes their feet, you know what he does? In John 13, 35, he looks at the disciples and says, Hey, men, blessed are you as well if you do this. He didn't say, blessed are you if you create a mental map and you begin to start studying how to wash feet and fill in your blank from the screens on your sermon card on a Sunday. 
and you theologize about the role and theology of foot washing. He said, you are blessed if you do one thing, do the foot washing. And where a lot of folks go wrong, I want to try to tell people, trust me, you don't need more content in 2022. You need more obedience. And another podcast will not fix the disobedience in your life. Listen to me, another book from your favorite author will not alleviate the thing you're wrestling with. The only way through it is you have to wrestle with God and obey God in the insight he's shown you. It's the only way through it. I have to learn to obey God in that moment. That's why in James chapter one, look what James chapter one says. The warning is this. He says, do not merely listen to the word because you'll deceive yourselves. If you just listen to it, you're gonna be deceived. Listen to me. What that means, church, is that the churches that have good teaching can often be the environments where there is tremendous religious deception. And the better the teaching is, the more prone we are to deception. Why? Because the deception is not false teaching. The deception is false living. Meaning we think when we assent or affirm good teaching, we're obeying it. But that's not obedience. And that's not what changes us. That's not what opens us up to meet with God, to simply appreciate good content. And there are many environments in America right now where people are criticizing and they're mad and they're angry about things. And the thing I just can't help people see is their own lives. And it's like, folks, your opinions are so strong, but your life is so weak. It doesn't matter if you get your opinion right, if your lifestyle's wrong. In our world where we spout and everybody has the ability to communicate via social media and platforms, it does not mean I've been changed if I believe things correctly. So what James does is he warns against gluttons for biblical knowledge. And what he says, listen, here's our challenge in America. We assume spiritual maturity because of biblical knowledge, but spiritual maturity is not biblical knowledge. Spiritual maturity is defined by love and obedience. Spiritual maturity means I obey what I read and I love God and love neighbor. Not I know. So God, what do you want me to do with this? So here's we, we have truth, unhurried, revelation, insight, God. Why would you show me? Which leads me to mission. God, what do you want me to do with this? And instead of me worrying about how the rest of the world's following Jesus, I'm just going to turn the mirror on me, amen, men. And I'm going to look in the mirror of me and say, God, what do I need to do to obey Jesus with my life? Church, the problem with amazing church is it can often lead and become a consumptive experience. And the more amazing church gatherings get, the more we're likely to consume. So a few years ago, my whole family, we went to the University of Georgia-Tennessee game in 2015, which I know many Georgia fans here, we're in Georgia. So it was like the worst game of your history. It was like the best game of my history. And what happened? I'm at the top. We had good seats. Even though we're in the top of Sanford Stadium, we're the only little orange and white section. You know, 80,000 people, Georgia fans there. And Jacob Eason, 14 seconds left in the game, throws a 60-yard bomb over Tennessee's cornerback. Came, and and, and when, when he does, the place erupts, right? Tennessee's now down. I'm literally cussing in the upper deck. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm mad and a hornet, right? And all of a sudden, they get a celebration penalty. So what happens? We get to, they get to kick it off deeper than normal. And so... Our returner takes it to the 50, which enables Josh Dobbs with time expiring to drop back and throw a Hail Mary. Well, Jawan Jennings, who is from Blackman, Tennessee, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, goes into the end zone, jumps up and catches at the highest point. 
And when he catches it with no time left, we are going ballistic in the top. I have never in my life felt the exhilaration. We are high-fiving. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hugging strangers, kissing them on the cheek. I mean, we're, we're picking one another up. And then after 30 minutes, at the end of the game, we looked at each other and there was only one question. You know what it was? You guys want to go to Chick-fil-A or not? And we got in our car and drove to the Chick-fil-A in Athens. And Jawan Jennings' parents, who caught the pass, was there. I took my picture with him, right? I was like, that's amazing. The game's awesome. Let's go eat Chick-fil-A. It wasn't. When the game ended, oh my gosh, I'm so moved. Let's go live this out. Let's go obey. My point is so often the big response after great church is this. Oh, where do you want to go for lunch? It's the same spirit that we have of things that entertain us. Oh, that's a good message, Pastor Craig. I appreciate that. Where are, you, are you guys ready to eat? And listen to me. Things that entertain us rarely transform us. So what we do is we get into this mode where we approach Scripture, we approach encountering with God as if it's just a consumptive experience, not to really transform us. It's enjoyable! But it doesn't change us. Why? Because it's in obeying God's word that we're changed. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says there's two kinds of people. You ready? He says they both hear the teachings of Jesus, but only one of them does the teachings of Jesus. He said, if you obey the teaching of Jesus, your house will be built on the rock, and when the storms of life vehemently beat against it, you'll survive. He said, if you hear the teachings of Jesus but don't obey him, it's like building your house on the sand, and when the storms of life beat vehemently against it, your house will fall. It has to be so confusing for the person because they have a biblical worldview and they read their Bible plan and yet they watch their life fall apart under pressure and they thought because they have Christian thoughts that they were living a Christian life. You can have Christian thoughts, you can read your Bible and when the pressure comes, you can be destroyed. Why? Because your house only stands when you do God's word. When you hear the truth and the insight and you move to mission. When you actually put it into practice, God says then you're able to endure the storms of life. What does Jesus say? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus didn't say my food is to learn more about my father. He didn't say my food is to learn more about scripture. He said my food is is to do something God asks of me. And we often get so stunted in our spiritual growth because God says, until you obey me in this area, Craig, I won't give you any further revelation. So what happens is our times with God dry up. Then we don't understand. So we go to our mentors or our connect group leaders or we go to our pastors and say, why is it so dry? Listen, another podcast is not going to alleviate the dryness. Reading another book won't alleviate the dryness. You have to go back to your point of disobedience and you have to do what Jesus asks you to do with that insight. That's the only way forward is to obey Jesus. I've not known how to say this, but I felt it for some years. It gets harder the older you get to figure out how to obey Jesus practically. So one of the things that was a challenge for me when I went from pastoring students to church planning is that when you preach the word of God to students, for the most part, they take the truth and insight and they immediately obey it and put it into practice. You know what adults do? They affirm it and appreciate the content and go back and live the same way they live. 
And it comes, the more I'm settled in my pattern, the harder it is to find ways to obey Jesus' word. The harder it is to find practical ways to do what God's telling me to do. So a couple weeks ago, it was a couple weeks, months ago now, I was reading Psalm 41 in my own Bible time. And it was in my Bible reading plan. And I came across Psalm 41 verse 1. I'll just give you a quick example. And it says, blessed are those who have regard for the weak. But, it, but the, the word weak is translated poor. And so I'm reading that. And you know what? I just, simple, I mean, simple moment. I just asked the Lord, okay. Um, God, I've given money to the poor. I have cared for the poor. But do I ever consider them? And so I went before the Lord and I said, okay, is there anyone in my life right now who's just weak? Who's just poor? And I told the Lord in prayer, I want to take action on this now. And did you know that day? I had an appointment to go detail a vehicle. I've told you a little bit of this story, but it was that day. And I went over to a house in Canton. And when I stepped into the truck to start cleaning it, I felt this kind of eerie feeling. And then I felt the Lord just prick me to pray for the owner. And the owner wasn't there, only his wife. And there was white little residue of spots all over the steering wheel and all over the door and the panels. And it was heroin. Uh, it was a heroin addict who's been a heroin addict for about 10 years, and he had cotton swabs everywhere. And so here I am in this truck, you know, wiping down this heroin, cleaning this out, just praying for this person while he's off at a recovery, and his wife comes out. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to consider the way of the week. And folks, I had the most amazing one-hour conversation with this wife while I'm just cleaning and degreasing the tire wells. I mean, I'm here I am just degreasing the rubber. And I'm like, oh my God. And she's talking so much, just talking, talking, talking. And she finally says to me, hey, you know, I'm sorry, am I talking too much? And I said, no, you keep talking. I just want to regard the way of the week. And then we had this time of praying for her and I shared with her about a, a long-term facility for her husband. And I got in my truck and I'm like, y'all, this is the Jesus stuff. Now, what if I would have read the text that morning and said, oh, blessed are those who have regard for the poor. Okay, yeah. So let me start with the sociology and psychology of what it means to be poor. And then I'm going to create a mental map. I'm going to make our way through the Old Testament. Can we make our way through the historical books? And then after we do that, let's go through the prophetic books and then make our way into the new... No, you just go talk to somebody who's poor. And it's at those points of obedience where the kingdom breaks out. The kingdom doesn't break out when I create mental gymnastics to affirm what I'm reading. The kingdom breaks out when I do what the scripture asks me to do. And this is how Eugene Peterson says it. He says, Christians feed on scripture. Watch this. Holy scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of water, missions into the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father and feet washed in company with the Son. Meaning I have the truth. Watch this. I, I read until the insight comes, the revelation comes. Think magic eye, think stereogram. Now we're in insight. God, why did you show me this? Why in the world? What's there? How can I see? What's the point? How do I immerse myself into it? Which leads me to take, okay, God, now that you've incited it, given me insight, what do you want me to do about it? And then lastly, watch this. When you get the revelation and the insight and the mission or the command, then here's what you do. You don't leave and go do the command. You take it back into the presence of God and you ask God to encounter you and give you power to do what he told you. Now, for me, I am, I'm a bit of an anomaly and a weird ball because I grew up 
or I got saved in a Pentecostal church, a spirit-filled church, but they didn't really highly value theological training, not even discipleship. So then when I went into school, I started getting theological training from people who were not necessarily Pentecostals. So like I'm hanging out, I'm reading and listening and, and, and you know, reading like some Tim Keller from Presbyterian Church in New York City and like going to conferences with Reinhard Bonnke, okay? That's like it's opposing ends of the theological spectrum. And I hear for years people always saying, oh, well, they're right or they're wrong. Listen to me, they're both right. They're just right in their own way. Listen to me. Hear me, church. You need fire and you need form for the fire. You need fuel and you need flame. And the reason why I think time works so well is once you got the truth and the insight and the mission, you don't go away now and do what God's asked you to do. You take it back into the presence of God, into the encounter, and this becomes, watch church, it becomes an invitation or a portal into the presence of God. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us. This is so powerful. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Watch this, through our knowledge. That's truth. That's the insight. Of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises. Watch this. So that through them, now here we go to the encounter. You may participate in the divine nature. What a phrase. My wife screams from the kitchen while I'm in my office. Craig, what are you doing in there? I'm participating in the divine nature. What are you doing? What about you this first day of, I am in the divine nature. Nature, Meredith, what are you doing right now? Having escaped the corruption, watch, in the world caused by evil desires. So there's freedom, then there's participation. And we're to step into it. So watch this. Once you've gotten the truth and the insight and the mission, we are to step into as a portal, as a door into the presence of God. Hear me, look at me, church. The door is locked to the arrogant and the bored. But the door will fling wide open if you come with a hunger, humble heart and say, God, I'm already coming with a heart to obey before I get into your presence. And the swinging door will come wide open and it becomes a Holy Spirit moment right there. I never forget in seminary, my class on the Gospel of John, I had a professor, one of which I talked about a minute ago, John Christopher Thomas. I got to the end of my semester and one of the one of the end results is we had to write a thesis off of a chapter. And so I was studying this chapter, y'all, and I don't know how to put it into words, but I had one of the most extraordinary encounters with God. And I think you understand what I mean. <clears throat> at the end of John's gospel, this is what John says. He said, I've written these things that you may believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. I don't know how to explain it, but as I read that, it was like an experiential door into the presence of God opening. And it was so hard to put in words, but I felt like God was showing me a picture of my whole life. And my whole life was shaped by this verse, is that I am in the light of life. And people are asking me, why do you follow Jesus? Because I have life! I have the light of life in me! And I'm walking around with the light of life! I left my wife 
in our time, and I drove to the church, and I called our staff, and I said, guys, meet me in the youth sanctuary. Get the buckets of water. We're going to do foot washing. And I walk into the sanctuary, and I'm like washing feet, and we, I'm literally weeping, and I like wanted to leave the sanctuary. I just wanted to scream to the city like, I am walking in the light of life. I have the light of life. I wanted to walk around like Publix and like lay hands on people. Life, 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 life. Go to Valvoline. Life, life, life. I was just so caught up in the presence of God. And I had this sense of wonder. And for many of you, it has been months since that kind of doors opened in your life. Where you're overwhelmed. With an encounter with him. And so people ask me, well, how long does this take, Pastor Craig? Well, it's not a formula. But it takes longer than you want to give it. Listen, y'all, if you want a 15-minute relationship, deep relationship with God, go ahead. I'm just here to tell you there is so much more. We can have 2022 of pop-ins. Or we can have 2022 of deep enjoyment. We can pop in with God or we can abide with him. And I say, I've said this before, but I want to say it again. And I, I mean this with all my heart. If you are bored with your relationship with God, I can promise you God is more bored with your relationship with him. And I often think, here is the maker of heaven and earth. And God is saying to me, Craig, I have all the omnis. Omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. I have all of the omnis available to you to be used at all moments. And you got a 15-minute thingy? God is waiting to meet us in 2022. Waiting to meet with you personally. So we have truth, insights, mission, and encounter. These are the four movements. If you were to push me, so if you were to put me to the fire, I would say it takes 45 minutes. I would say on days that you get quick insight, it would take 30 minutes, but it could take up to an hour. You say, well, I don't have an hour. Yes, you do. You have 24 hours. People say, I don't have one hour. Yeah, you do. You have 24 hours. You don't just have one. Y'all, Elon Musk has the same 24 hours you do, and he's building a planet on a planet. Like Jeff Bezos, he has the same amount of time you do. You make time for what you want to make time for. It's as simple as that. Here's the second thing people say to me. Well, I don't feel like it. What do feelings have to do with it? Like at which point in your life do you live by your feelings when you're in third grade? Like I sat down on my bed, my son's bed last night and I said, son, this is the year. It's a heart to heart, dad to son kind of conversation. You are living way too much right now by your feelings. And I'm cool with it and shown a grace, but you're going to have to take steps this year. Listen to me, listen to me. Amateurs wait for inspiration. Professionals have a process. Hear me. People who are world-class at anything do not live under the luxury of inspiration. They discipline themselves for encounter. I can't make the fire fall, but I can put myself next to the altar and wait there every morning or every evening. I can't make God's fire fall, but I can discipline myself to be next to where the fire falls. I can bring my heart to God and allow God to meet me in that moment. So I'm going to give you two examples and I'll close. Just to give you practical examples. So one of the first examples is John chapter 20. That's a glory portal, folks. I know it don't look like much to you, 
But that was one that happened this last year. It was a glory portal in John chapter 20. You say, Craig, what do you mean? I was reading John chapter 20, and I came to verse 17 where Jesus said, Mary, don't touch me anymore. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And it just leapt off the page. Why? Because it hit me. The Word in John chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 said the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so the Word starts John's gospel by constantly turning towards the Father. But now after the Word has died and resurrected, he now returns back to the Father with somebody else in tow. And it's called Craig Mosgrove as a redeemed sibling. And now he doesn't say just my God. He says your God, Mary. And I just say my father. He says your father. And, and so it hit me. Listen, true neighbor love is doing whatever it takes to share with those people the thing that you love. So what does the thing Jesus loved the most in his life? He said relationship with his father. So true love means you have to share with the people you love the thing you love the most. So Jesus shares with us, the people he loves, what he loves the most. What is that relationship with his father? And it hit me. John's greatest contribution in his gospel is to tell us that you can't fully appreciate God's love for the world unless you appreciate God's love for God. Or another way to say it is you can't truly participate in God's love for the world until you are filled with God's love for God. That was a glory portal. Let me give you another one. This was his Matthews. I titled this one, you'll see. Jesus is the true Israelite and the true Israel. You say, Craig, well, what was there? Well, I was reading through Matthew's gospel and I noticed in Matthew's gospel how it corresponds to the ministry of Israel. And Matthew goes in it because he's writing to Jews. So what did Israel do? They passed through the water called the Red Sea. They entered the wilderness for 40 years. They were tempted in the wilderness and failed. Then Moses goes to the mountain Horeb and receives the law. So what does Jesus do? He passes through the water in his baptism. He enters the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted and succeeds where they failed. He goes to a mountain called the Sermon on the Mount and he delivers his law. And I wrote that down and that insight came to me and I said, well, what's his law? His law is love. His law is not obeying every I and crossing every T. And you know what I did? I just said, God, change me, Lord, to be a person of love. And this entered into a glory portal. I mean, this was a long one. Lord, I make my instincts instincts of love. Lord, change my heart. I create faith in me, God, where there's doubt. I've been getting angry with my kids. So, Lord, replace the defensiveness and create patience where there's anger. Lord, replace the graciousness with graciousness with the defensiveness. Lord, just change me, God. Your law is love. That's a glory portal. Last thing I want to tell you to you, church, on a very practical level is this. You need to give these things a compelling title. Everyone look at me real quick. Here's what you do. Get your journal, or if you like your Bible, whatever you like to do. So my mom gets me all these cool gifts. So she got me a new journal this year with like a, it's like legit papyrus paper. I still haven't found the pen that I currently like, but... When I kicked into the Bible reading plan this week, it's just simple as this. This is just one-page devotion, T-I-M-E, different colors. So take the passage we're going to read. We're going to write the truth, the insight. God, what is the mission you're giving me? And then how do I take it to God and ask for his power? Now listen, take your pen or your marker. Draw a line at the top of your sheet. Give it a compelling title. Craig, what title do I give it? Here's what you, you answer the question. How can you summarize this revelation? And then you put four things, T. I-M-E. Now listen to me, church. You know what happens if you do this every day? Look. Think about this. How many of you use a devotional? Like my utmost for his highest or another devotional? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But listen to me. Why do you read someone else's thoughts about God when you can get your own? And here's my point. 
if you did this every day, you would have hundreds of carefully titled beautiful revelations and insights that would be your spiritual legacy that you could pass down to your kids and your grandkids. And part of my life vision for this is I want my grandkids to be able to say, hey, this year we're not doing my utmost for his highest. We're doing Craig Mosgrove's Springfield Drive glory portals. And then they can read through them. And it becomes a part of the legacy you pass on to generation. Don't you want that? So I'll give you a couple quick examples of 2020, 2021. I had one called 9010. You'll never forget this. 9010 is memorable. You know what 9010 is? How many years did Jesus live on earth? 33. How many of them did he live in obscurity and preparation? 30. How many did he live in public? Three. Most of us want 90% impact and 10% preparation. Jesus had 90% preparation, 10% impact. 90-10, you'll never forget it, 90-10. I was reading through the Gospel of Mark, and I put WYSIWYG. That's the acronym for what you see is what you get. WYSIWYG, never forget it for the rest of my life. I titled it WYSIWYG, why? Because when they come into, Jesus comes into Nazareth, he could not do many miracles there, why? Because they did not perceive him to be the son of God. What you see is what you get with God. If you think he's a carpenter's son, that you change his diaper, you won't get any kind of power from him. If you see him as the divine son of God, you'll get the divine son of God's power. What you see is what you get in the kingdom. WYSIWYG. Just a simple title. And if we begin to do this, then what happens is we become a congregation of self-feeders. And the hypocrisy that Woodstock in America sees as a stain on the church where people think one thing and they live another, it will begin to be erased because we're having daily encounters with God. And, and, and going on mission. As we move forward, come on team, and technology seizes more and more of our imaginations. How many of you this year, you think that technology is going to seize more of Americans' imagination than it did in 2021? According to the virtual world, NFTs, and what's happening. So technology is going to seize our thought process. So hear me. People who can steward the presence of God like this are going to be used so differently by God than other Christians because you have something to offer. And I want to call you this first Sunday of 2022 back to the simple principle of meeting with God. Guess what? 14 days from now, we're going to fast for a week. So you never fasted before. Never done a liquid fast for seven days. We'll talk to you more about that if there's Questions you need to ask of your doctor because of medications you take or the type of job, do it. Go ahead and start preparing. But we're going to challenge, as many of you will, we'll do a liquid fast for seven days. Where we put away the, te- the, the food, push away the table, and we say, God, we're hungry for you. We're more hungry for you in revelation and truth and obedience than we are for this next meal. Lord, I've got contrition. I've got a brokenness to pursue after you. This year can be a year where you have deep enjoyment and abiding. Look at me, church. Most of your unanswered prayers are hovering over the promises of God that you've yet to contend for. That you've yet to fight for. And I want to say this to you because some of you doubt yourself. You can be someone who walks in intimacy with God. You can be someone who prays. You can be someone who moves in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be someone who has divine encounters with God like the book of Acts if you want them. Divine encounters are part of your spiritual inheritance when you come under Jesus but you have to turn aside you have to want them so look was your time with God in 2021 
memorable? If it wasn't memorable, meaning you don't, you can't remember much, you don't have much to write down, much truth, then let's not do what we did last year. Let's do something different. If it's time, use this time principle. On the bottom of your sermon card, I gave you another option. It's called the SOAP principle. SOAP is scripture, observation, application, prayer. You can every day write the scripture out. You can write your observations. You write your application. You write out your prayer. You go to the next next day. Okay. If it's time, if it's SOAP, if it's whatever, but do something that makes your time with God memorable this year. Amen? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.